If you're happy that the Lord knows your name, say amen. <laughs> so I want to start with a question. How many of you have a Facebook page? Raise your hand. It's, it's okay. I mean, you, you won't be shamed if you raise your hand. Um, next question. How many of you have, that have a Facebook page, how many of you have at least 100 friends? How many have 300 friends? How many have 400 friends? How many have over 500? Very good. Now, my Facebook page tells me that I have 400, um, no, excuse me, 349 friends. 349. Now, my wife, your pastor's wife, has twice as many friends as I do. She has 600 and some. She knows a lot more people than I do. You know, the face, I can go on there and I can click on that icon and I can click friends and it will give me this long list of 349 friends. Do you know there are people on that list that I have not communicated with in over decades. There are classmates on that list of friends that I have that I haven't spoken to since May of 1976, since I graduated from high school and went to the military. But Facebook says they're my friends. Are they my friends? We... Um, Mm. Many of us look at friend or friendship, this word, in so many different ways. Uh, today we have the use of boyfriend and girlfriend. Now I will tell you that the definition of that has changed since I graduated from high school of what a boyfriend and a girlfriend is. Uh, those uh, are different today. Uh, all, a lot of us say we have a best friend. There's somebody that is special in our life, and, and you will say, such and such is my best friend. Others will say, oh, yes, that is a friend of mine, but we aren't really close. We're, we're just acquaintances, but yet you call them friends. So I went to uh, good old Webster, and uh, Webster gives us some definitions of um, friend. So they're going to be on the, the screen. Benjamin will put them up there, a couple of slides. Um, a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. Now, I think that's a pretty good definition. Uh, a person who gives assistance. I'm not sure about that one. A person who is on good terms with another. I'm, I'm not sure about that one. How about this one on the next screen? A person who is not hostile. So if you have someone that is not hostile to you, you should count them as a friend, Webster says. A member of the same nation or party, I don't think so, um, necessarily. Uh, and then this last one, and I'm guessing that somewhere along the line, uh, Webster added this definition to their list because probably 30 years ago, this was not one of the definitions of what a friend is. A person who, 
to one adds to their contacts on social media, which is what we were just talking about. Um, all of that to be said is friend or friendship, um, all of us look at it a little differently. All of us have this definition in our mind what a friend is. And my guess is you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to let Facebook define who your friend is. I think about Jesus. You know, back in Jesus' day, didn't he have a lot of friends? What do you think? I mean, he did a lot of healing. He went throughout, you know, Samaria and Judea and Galilee, and he healed a lot of people, and people followed him, and people sought after him. I mean, shoot, he, 5,000 men were on the countryside, and he fed them besides women and children. It's probably 15, maybe 20,000 that were there that day that Jesus fed. Are they his friends? Did they come seeking him for a friendship? Jesus in his ministry became a lightning bolt, and that lightning bolt was both good and bad. At the name of Jesus, people would curse him. At the name of Jesus, people would praise him. People sought after him. And depending on where you were or who you were or what you believed about him, really probably depicted on whether you would say, yeah, I'm a friend of, of Jesus, or Jesus is a friend of me. I don't know that much has changed today. Uh, many that speak the name of Jesus speak it in a way of either what they believe about him or who he is or not. If Jesus would have had a Facebook page, I'm sure that he would have set the world on fire as far as the number of people requesting to be his friend for whatever reason that might be. But Jesus had a different understanding of what a, a friend was. I want you to, let me tell you as we're going into this, I'm going to read from John 11 passages as we go, uh, but I'll read a few other passages also. If you have your Bibles and want to turn to uh, John 15, that's where I want to start this morning. And so I'm going to read, it'll be on the screen, verses uh, 12, 13, 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. Look what he says. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known. To you. Three times here, Jesus uses the word friend. And he is discussing with his disciples in this instant, they are, are, are talking about the relationship of each other in this passage in chapter 15, part of the farewell discourses of Jesus. 
And Jesus says, I'm giving you the big picture. You're my friends. I'm telling you what my father is doing and what he has done and what he is going to do. And our relationship as friend is different. It's different. But even here, Jesus is more than a friend. Friendships are important to us. Who we have as friends are important to us. It is meaningful relationships. In fact, it is fellowship together. And that is what the body of Christ is called to do, is to be in fellowship, in relationship with one another. During these last 24 months, we have seen people that have been secluded, people that have left the church. In fact, the current statistic is that 25% of the people that attended church May 5th or March 15th of 2020 will not return to the church. 25% will not grace the doors of the church again. Now, I will tell you, that they're going to miss out on something, they still have that need of relationship. They still have the need of fellowship, that togetherness that the body of Christ offers. Jesus, when asked, said, love God and love your neighbor. You see, it's about relationship. And the truth is this, the more time that we spend with one another, the more healthy our relationship grows. The more that we actually become in tune with one another. If you pull away from the body of Christ, you are segregating yourself out and that relationship is harmed. The friendships that you have are harmed. But... Jesus calls us into relationship with him. He calls us not only into friendship, but he calls us into relationship. He's more than a friend. He came to be the king of kings. He didn't come to be the most popular person on the face of the earth. He came to be Lord and Savior. He did not come so that you and I can feel warm feelings on Sunday morning in worship. He came, as he said, to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus came. It's more than just friendship. And don't, don't think, folks, that being a good friend is enough. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. We have nine children. I love every single one of those children. And I would love to be their friend in some way, but that's not who I am called to be. Here are some responsibilities that I'm called to be as a father of nine kids. I'm called to be their dad, their teacher. I'm called to be their disciplinarian, their coach, their encourager. I'm called to be their cheerleader, their protector. I'm called to be their provider, their tutor, their good example. I'm even called to be their spider killer when I need to be. When Emma says, Dad, there's a spider in my room, come get it out. That's more than just being a friend. 
And friendship, when it comes to Jesus, is important, but our relationship to him as Savior is much more important. The death of Lazarus in chapter 11, as we're going to look at it, is often preached in so many different ways. Um, I've had a, a pastor tell me, oh, the, the death of Lazarus is so that we can see that Jesus can bring the dead back to life. I, I don't think that the fact that Lazarus was dead and the fact that he had to die again was the purpose of why this particular story we have in Scripture, that God's this, this wonderful event, as wonderful it is, as it is, is not the reason that we have this story. I believe it's to show that Jesus is more than just a friend. There is something else that we need to hear that's at the heart of this story as you look at this specific text. But before I go any further, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your precious word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus is more than a friend. If you look at this chapter 11, if you just go to verse 11 to start with, it says, This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Hopefully you know the story. Jesus has gone beyond the Jordan. It says that he's gone beyond the Jordan where John the Baptist had been baptized. And he's there with his disciples. And he gets word from Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, that Lazarus is sick. And instead of immediately going, he tarries, the scripture tells us. He tarries, he waits. And his disciples are kind of torn with that. And then when, four days later, when he is going to go, they are torn about that because they say, wait a minute, you're going to go? They want to stone you there. You remember they want to kill you, Jesus. Let's, it's been four days. The dude's probably dead. Let's just wait, Jesus. Yeah, he's your friend. He's our friend, but I don't think this is good. I don't think that this is what we should be doing. And Jesus gives them some understanding about stumbling in the dark and walking in the light and then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I want to go and awake him out of his sleep. And then the following verses, Jesus is talking about him being dead, and they don't understand that. And, and, and finally, in verse 14, Jesus says, hey, Lazarus is dead. Well, then why in the world should we go? If he's dead, why can't we just stay here and protect ourselves? Doesn't make any sense. But you see, this is more than a story about Lazarus. This is a story about Jesus. 
and who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. Let's be honest, social networking has become nothing more than clicking a button and saying that someone is your friend. But Jesus, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he came to seek and save the lost. This is who he is. And so now he comes to this place and he is ready to talk and see what's going on. And before he can even get there, they run out to him. It says that now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and here Martha runs to him. If you would have been here, if you would have only been here, Jesus. Mary doesn't come at that time to talk to Jesus. And they go through this litany, and then in verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord. You are the Christ. Yes, Lord, you are the Christ. You see, Mary and Martha were looking at Jesus as more than a friend because what they were looking at Jesus as is a miracle worker. If you would have been here, Jesus, you could have saved our brother. If you would have been here, he would not have died. If you, Jesus... If you, Jesus is more than a friend, he is more than a miracle worker. You see, all the signs that Jesus performed was to answer the prophecy that this would be the Messiah, the one who would come and to heal, and the lame would walk, and the blind would see, and the dead would rise. This is who Jesus is. If you believe in me, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of the I am statements, the seven I am statements in John's gospel. And so Mary and Martha were looking for a doctor, Dr. Jesus, not Savior Jesus, the one who gives life, the one who was to be glorified. Because, see, if you, if you back up in this passage and you go back to verse 4, where Jesus is still across the Jordan, and Jesus says in that, he said, the sickness is not the end in death, but this is why we're going. This is why I'm going to, to raise Lazarus. For the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. This is about Jesus. This is not about Lazarus. Lazarus is going to physically die again. But Jesus makes the point to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And now Mary, who has 
stay behind, comes to Jesus. Same verbiage. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. They believed in Jesus. They believed that you are the Christ. They even were friends, and he was friends with them. But they failed to understand why he was there. And so Jesus, in this passage, says, Where have you laid him? And they say, Come and see. We have the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. And that verse is such that people have written volumes of, was he weeping over the fact that they didn't understand who he was and what he could do? Was he weeping over the fact that his friend Lazarus has died? Was he weeping over the fact that Mary and Martha and what they had said, and probably all of that was part of why he was weeping. It was not just one thing. But Jesus has compassion. He has uh, um, uh, grief here in what is taking place. And all of the Jews are there and saying, look how much he loved him. What a great friend Jesus was. But there was not anyone standing there that he had even remotely thought of what Jesus would say next. No one. No one expected Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. Even though he had said, we're going so that the Son of Man may be glorified, we're, we're going to give life to Lazarus. He's dead, but we're still going. No one at this point in the story believed what was about to happen. So I want to read through 38 through 44. Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and the stone was laying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Remove the stone, Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. It's interesting. Many of the Jews believed that the spirit hung around for three days, and after three days the spirit would leave. Isn't it interesting that Lazarus has been dead now four days? There's no question about this man's death by anyone that would have been there. Jesus said to her, and he repeats what he had said in verse 4 to an extent, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Remember verse 4? This sickness is not an end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So they removed the stone, verse 41, and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, 
Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, did he need to thank the Father? Yes, uh, he was thanking the Father, but listen to what he says. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. You see, this is more about Lazarus, more than just Lazarus being raised from the dead. This is about Jesus, about who he is and what he has done. He's more than a friend. In verse 43, when they had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And the man who died came forth. Take the stone away, Jesus says. Take the stone away. It was not a question. He didn't say, can you take the stone away? It was not a statement, take the stone. This was a command. Take the stone away. Remove the stone. I think many today need the stone rolled away. They need to experience Jesus calling out to them, come forth. Many have still stood behind, hidden behind the stone. They have developed shallow friendships with their Savior. They live in a way that you would never know that they were transformed by the power of the living God, receiving that living water. They are not living into the resurrection and the life that comes through Jesus. Take the stone away, Jesus says. How can some people that would say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior live a life where nothing has changed? There is no evidence of change. Everything that was in their mouth and coming out of their mouth before is still coming out. They live with the same behavior. They react to people in the same way. They live as, with, as if coming to Jesus made absolutely no change in their life. They are still hiding behind the door, the stone, hiding behind a stone heart. Jesus is more than a friend. He's more than a miracle worker. Jesus is Savior. And as we emerge as being transformed from the tomb of death, our sin, as we emerge in these grave clothes, we should hear this. So let me read verse 44 again. And the man who died came forth, both bound, forth, bound hands and feet in wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with another cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Him go. 
if I was Jesus, the one who gives new life, the one who gives resurrection power, the one who calls, the one who saves, the one who gives eternal life, I would be frustrated if we walk around as dead people with our grave clothes still on. We need to take the grave clothes off, folks. We need to live as though we have been transformed, which if we're in Jesus, we have been. And I'm not just preaching to you today, I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes we act as if we are still dead. Are you still walking around in your grave clothes? After Jesus has called you out. Are you living in the, in the transformation that takes place with the living water? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And all who come to me, though they die, they will live. Can you imagine Lazarus? This is a man who died, who will die again physically. But could you imagine this? He comes out, they take his grave clothes off, he's alive. Do you think maybe, and we don't know, there's no recording, no uh, story uh, about what Lazarus did after he came out of the grave uh, as far as telling the story, but wouldn't you think if you were dead and now you're alive, Jesus, your friend who has come and taken you out and unclothed these grave clothes from you, don't you think he would be shouting to the rooftop, I was once dead, but now I'm alive? I think so. Jesus, the only one that could do this. God is the only one that can do this. There is no other that can give you life. There is no other that can say to you, Bruce, if you die, you will still live because of what I've done for you. And though we walk around as if we've got our grave clothes on, First Corinthians 15, I'm not going to turn there, but many of you know that First Corinthians 15 gives us an understanding of the resurrection, of um, our resurrection, what we're going to be. This uh, perishable body is going to put on imperishability. This mortal body is going to put in immortality. And it says that we will, we will live with God forever. And that's forever. It's not you know, three years, five years, until uh, uh, something else happens. This is forever. It, it, it doesn't end. It's eternity. And this is who God is. And as Paul writes to the church at Corinth and ultimately writes to us, he reminds us of this mystery of faith that we have, this mystery of the resurrection, that we will not all die, but we will be with him. This 
is who Christ is. In fact, if you look at the last two verses of this chapter, or not the chapter, but this section, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed. They saw a man who was once dead but now alive. They saw a man who was wrapped in grave clothes, but yet take off the grave clothes, Jesus says. But some, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And it starts. And it starts. The conspiracy to kill our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what about you? What about me? Are, are we the ones in verse 45, or are we the ones in verse 46? Do we really care about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we really care that he went to Calvary's cross and died for me? Do we really care, or are we walking around with our grave clothes on as if we had never been transformed ever? Folks, take your grave clothes off. Let others see the Christ that lives in you. Jesus is more than a friend. He's your Savior and should be your Lord. In other words, you should surrender all to him. And if that's not who he is and that's not how you're living, I pray today that you will make a decision, not for Christ because you already have received Christ as Savior, but that you will say, I've been walking around with grave clothes on and I'm going to acknowledge what Christ has done because he's more than my friend. He's my Savior and Lord. May it be so. Father, thank you for a story that is more than Lazarus coming back to life. It's more than two sisters that are heartbroken. It's more than a family that is mourning. It's more than Jews that have collected around to see what is happening. It's more than just Jesus coming. It is Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus who brings life to our mortal bodies. It is Jesus who receives us as his, and not only as friend, but as Lord and Savior. Father, please help all of us, and I'm speaking to me too, Father, about me. Please help us to set aside those things that bind us. Help us to take off the grave clothes so that others can see the living Christ that lives in me, in your church. And by that, Father, your Son will be glorified. Again, Father, may it be so.
We pray this in your holy name. Amen.